0: Hey everybody! This is Jamin, host of the Happy Market Research podcast in conjunction with MR Web. I've had the honor of interviewing three of the leading custom panel companies. This is one of those three episodes. If you're not currently subscribed to MR Web, I just can't recommend another resource. He gives you a daily update on happenings, whether it's HR, M and A, technology releases. Companies going out of business, companies starting. I mean, there is not a single point of truth that I found to be more consistent and reliable than MR Web. So check them out. They're great. And I hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is sponsored by G3 Translate. The G3 Translate team offers unparalleled expertise in foreign language translations for market researchers and insight professionals across the globe. Not only do they speak hundreds of languages, they are fluent in probably the most difficult one, market research. For more information, please visit them at g3translate.com. Hi, I'm Jamin and you're listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. My guest today is Stephen Cribbett founder and CEO of Further. Established in 2007, Further is a team of consultants, strategists, researchers, and technology experts that support organizations in becoming more people-centric, empathetic, and instinctive organizations. Prior to starting Further, Stephen was a managing partner of Landini Associates, along with an extensive consulting set of experiences. Stephen, thank you very much for joining me on the Happy Market Research Podcast.
1: Pleasure to be here, Jamin. Good morning to you.
0: Yeah, well, hey, thanks very much. And thanks for being patient with my poor reading skills uh, at this hour.
1: (laughs) granted, I'll let you have that.
0: Uh, So let's start out setting some context so the audience has an opportunity to get to know you. Tell us a little bit about your parents and how they informed your career.
1: Uh, my parents, I guess the way that they informed my career was actually kind of helping me choose what I didn't want to do. So (laughs) most of my family are kind of involved in the automotive industry in one way, shape or form. And when I was going through college, I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do at that point. So I kind of just studied engineering, which I kind of thought was the family way. And lo and behold, within, you know, less than a year, I very quickly decided that engineering wasn't my thing. But I needed to pursue something a little bit more creative, I suppose, kind of more right brain, if you like. So the precision and the structure of engineering didn't suit my personality. So that's kind of really what my parents granted me, aside from a, a love for all things and kind of drive and a focus on doing you know, what I really, really love and enjoy, which is obviously what I'm doing right now. Now, where are you located? Where'd you grow up, actually? And then, and then where are you located? Yeah, so um, I was born in the UK. I've lived in the UK pretty much most of my life. Traveled extensively with all the work that I've done. But you mentioned at the beginning there a kind of company called Landini Associates that I uh, worked with uh, maybe 17, 18 years ago now. I think they were in Australia. I was down in Australia working with those guys, helping grow their kind of design and uh, brand strategy business, and that popped an opportunity for me really to bring that business back to the UK, I was offered a, a partnership by the managing director, the owner of the business. And that was really my kind of entry into uh, entrepreneurship, if you like. So quite coincidental, not really planned. I kind of fell into it, if you like.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's funny that that is a theme I've seen across basically every in almost every interview, not every, but almost every interview I've done. You know, it's, it's also really interesting that story of stumbling into research is kind of how I've started framing it. If you look at like the Insights Association, they have an active forum. Uh, It's actually a great source of knowledge and and an active community. The number one thread on that Insights Forum is how did you wind up in research? And I think it's so interesting that we really don't uh, get to that through most of our conversations and yet it's probably one of the favorite stories we like to tell and then also on the other side of it here. Because it is most of the time people are very unconventional in terms
1: of their entry point. I think I'm really pleased you brought this up, actually, because it's a conversation I had just this week. And actually, it's something that's really important to me as I look to bring talent into the business. I actually make a very specific beeline to try not to hire people that have fallen into research. But actually, we hire a lot of very kind of rigorous and uh, academic professionals that have come through academia through the social sciences, and consciously have wanted to understand people, their relationships, their behaviors. And I guess going back to, you know, where I came from, you know, having worked in the, the design and the brand strategy world for, you know, 15 years, I think it was, then a large part of it, certainly on the design and the creative side of things, it was really quite unstructured. It was It was in an era where the style, the design, the results that, that came out of it was very sort of led by a creative director, and, and I kind of describe them now as aging rock stars, you know, it was really whatever <laughs> they goes. There was no rig, no structure to it, there was no rationale, there was no insight that was informing their design. Right. Um, and kind of that, that irked me, you know, that was something I felt uneasy with, uh, you know, I thought there must be a better way of going into a pitch and saying, this is why we're proposing this solution, rather than just relying on, you know, a fantastically lucid presenter who could just tell his own story without any rhyme or reason. Um, And so that's really what got me into Insight. I think it was from the design world, you know, human-centered was, uh, I guess back in those days, it was called ergonomics. You know, it was designing around the human form and the human body. That soon moved into kind of user and human-centered design. And then from there, you know, moving into, you know, the practice of gathering and garnering the insight and how we craft that. And then helping teams, creative teams, which is what we work with a lot, understand how to then activate that insight and use it, whether it's in the design of a new product or service, or whether that's you know really just in informing a new brand strategy or a positioning.
0: I mean, there's, there's two things that pop for me there, and I think it's really important what you're saying. One is the ROI on data is overwhelming, right? Like if you're using data to make decisions, you will have a positive outcome versus a random outcome. And one of my go-to examples of that recently is I was I won't say the name of it it's a, it's a top 3 media company. And when they pitch or advertising company, excuse me, when they pitch their customers, they used to go in with this, you know, big deck and you know, fancy presentations and whatever and and, and story and case studies. But they added one slide to their presentation that increased their close rate by 60%. And that was a quadrant map that showed where the customer is or the potential customer that they're pitching is relative to their competitive set. And then they mapped a set of assumptions that would move the needle, obviously to the top right or their point to the top right of that quadrant map. And it was obviously it's a data informed position. And because they're approaching it from, they're starting with data, Uh, point of view now all of a sudden everything is centered around measuring the subsequent outcome of the brand investment which is something that you know is a big differentiator even today uh, when you're thinking about advertising spend so it's really interesting to me that we're seeing these just absolute examples gosh i mean the watermark is another really interesting company where you know there are a consultancy they do a analytics on the s p 500 the companies that are data-centric, or making decisions based on customer feedback, outperform the S&P over the last 10 years by 45 points. But the really interesting thing is the people that don't, the organizations that don't, they underperform by 75 points. And by the way, it's the majority of companies. So now you think about like the growth opportunity inside of our space is profound. And the second thing I'll point out is, as we're seeing this, like, this evolution in consumer insights and it becoming more and more important, You know, Estre López Brea is head of insights for the general, the the partnership with Nestle and General Mills, serial partnership. She had this great quote in my interview with her a couple months ago, which was, the boardroom is rolling out the red carpet to insights. So like when I was going through college, there really wasn't a marketing research degree that I was ever aware of. You know, the closest would have been getting a doctorate in like experimental psychology or something along those lines, right? But now you see a, there's a host of programs, like there's 12 in the US alone, schools, top schools that are offering market research master's programs. So you are seeing this like, you know, you can be intentional in the last three to five years with your education if you wanna go into consumer insights.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think what, what we try and really hard to do, I mean, we talk about human insight, a less so consumer insight, because I think, you know, we're consumers for only two or three hours of our day. What the reality is to understand what people really value in their lives, you have to understand, you know, all of those tensions, those contextual factors, the artifacts that are shaping the decisions they make, the relationships they have with the brands and the products and the services that they use. And so we kind of really marry up those social scientists and psychologists with the business strategists. And I think that's really what, what differentiates us in that sense. So we go in and talk about the human story and the narrative, mm. you know, rather than the data. I mean, of course, we're collecting the data to infer that story and to craft that story back for the client. But we're very much about trying to humanize brands and bringing that back to a very human level, so that they create these kind of solutions for, for people that are harmonious with their lives and the tensions that they're, they're fraught with you know it's there's a huge difference between doing a focus group and going into someone's home and understanding that they got the dog to kind of take out for a walk in the morning they've got to catch the bus they've got to pay for their mortgage they've got to take the kids to school all of those things creates a very different reality and a very different human truth and really that's where we you know focus and that's our energy is very much in that kind of exploratory research space, which is fun. We love that. We just yeah, love people. I mean, We're fascinated by people. Yeah, you're in the right job. That's exciting. And that's why you've had so much
0: success. You know, you started your career, centric, at least according to LinkedIn, <laughs> in really entrenched in marketing. And then in 2007, you started further your current business. Why the leap into entrepreneurship?
1: Well, again, I kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier, it was, I fell into entrepreneurship because I was offered... The opportunity to open a satellite office by the guy that I was working with at the time in his business, which was very successful and had been going for a number of years. And uh, it wasn't something I thought about. I hadn't prepared for it. And my first port of call was a close friend of mine at the time who was a serial entrepreneur. And, you know, I was always in awe of kind of the things that he'd achieved and kind of said, look, let's go out for a coffee. Let's have a chat about this. What do you think? You know, should I do this? And you know, he was a very kind of positive, upbeat character. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. Go for it. You know, make mistakes. That's the important thing. There's no rule book. There's no guide in terms of how to be an entrepreneur. you just got to learn to fail fast. Don't be afraid to make those mistakes, but take those opportunities. And so that was something I did. You know, we, I came back to the UK after that, opened a satellite office, uh, we very quickly picked up some very big contracts with big UK retailers. Harrods was one of them. You oh, yeah. know. Um, of so we did a lot of brand strategy work, but also a lot of uh, retail design work for them. We built a whole new store for them, which you know, they hadn't done for many, many years. So it was, it was a really prized contract to win. So I did that for a couple of years. And that got me the kind of the bug, really, for kind of building and running my next business. But actually, at that time, there was... Social media was sort of happening. This thing called Twitter was emerging, and people were going, What is this? What's a blog? I remember one Saturday morning, I think I was visiting my parents, and I remember getting up early because I was so intrigued by this new world. Mm -hmm. I was kind of, What what is a blog? You know, and what, what is Twitter? What can it do? And so, you know, I kind of felt that it was a good time to. Get out of kind of owning a business, but maybe take a little bit of a gap year and learn a little bit more about digital and social. So that's kind of what I did. And I was also working during that period for um, an e-commerce business, actually doing some consulting work. That was fantastic. Taught me all about SEO and PPC and social networks and social media. And I could see how combining social media would or, or the way that you could use social media to engage an audience at a distance. First and foremost, that was kind of where I saw an opportunity and having been involved in some research projects, you know, up to that point, it kind of felt that, you know, actually we can be doing big international research studies, uh, understanding why people are doing what they're doing, what their relationships are with brands. Um, without jumping on a plane and kind of using the earth's resources as well, but doing that much, much quicker. So we set about designing our first piece of technology, which is still very much what we use today. It's iterated a number of times, but it's a, it's a social media and engagement platform that's used for qualitative research. And that's really how we, how we got into that. And then combining that with training and helping researchers on how to use it to its advantage because the research, it was completely new at that time. In 2007, the term research communities didn't exist. MROCs, no one was talking about MROCs. We didn't have a pigeonhole that we could even go into. Right. It was actually quite scary. We, we had this thing that we were trying to talk to researchers about and qualitative researchers in particular, and they were terrified of it. They didn't understand it. Well, it's not that they didn't understand it, but they were really threatened by it. You know, they were like, we do focus groups, we do ethnography. That's cool. We're happy with that. But this whole new world was about to roll over them. And uh, it took a good couple of years for us actually to get some really good traction with the business. But obviously, looking back, it was the best thing we did. We stuck with it. And then two or three years in, things started to happen. Pigeonholes appeared that we could be put into. And that just helped us market the business much, much more effectively. And this helps us to get where we are today. Yeah, and of course you, because you made
0: the investment and had patience, you were able to take a dominant position in SEO and and knowledge leadership or thought leadership inside of the sector once it actually gained purchase and interest in you know in the in the category. And we all know the end of the story. Well, sort of. I um, mean, we're still in it, but uh, you know, social media now is by far and away the number the most impactful cha- communication channel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, though, I feel like we're at a point in time where, I know certainly I am, and I can't say I have the answer to this, but I'm looking for what's the next revolution. Yeah. You know, there's something else around the corner that's going to shake things up again soon. I mean, mobile came along when we first developed our technology, mobile smartphones weren't really entrenched within society. So when kind of apps and, and mobile connectivity really grew, that was, a, that was a big change for our business. There are other societal and technological changes I think around the corner, uh, and we're trying to keep our eye on what those things are. Obviously, you know, analytics and AI and automation is is now starting to make a difference, and it's really how we combine and mash up all of those things in a very human way.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's from my vantage point, there's really two things that you know we're in the very beginning. I, it's like 2005 or yeah, about 2006. Kind of a repeat for me. Right, From relative to social media, and that is uh, voice. So you know you look at the lift in voice based devices, whether it's Alexa or Google Home. It's you know astounding right now the adoption rate across the world. And you know the use cases are still very narrow, but you are seeing, I think there's at least five companies that I'm aware of that are entering into you know the analytics and and data collection in those environments. And the second one is augmented reality. You know, as those devices become, you know, the Google Glass becomes more of a contact, right? Now, all of a sudden, I can walk down the street and see Yelp reviews on where I want to go to lunch or, you know, whatever uh, directions, etc. And so it just really continues to expand the amount of data that um, an opportunity for us to be able to get to the heart of the consumer, kind of that real-time ethnography. Conversely, though, you have this rise in privacy concerns. Which is very important for us to address, and so you know, there's definitely a lot of tension right now, and will continue to escalate in that space in terms of you know what we actually have access to and the rights to um, be able to leverage.
1: Yeah, and and I think there's there's a there's a counter movement to this as well, which is actually consumers or us as people are actually being a little bit more discerning about what we give our attention to or how much we let computers do the work for us. So yeah, great idea walking down a street with Google Glasses on, giving you all the information you want. But do you want that disrupting you? Do you want that to have your attention at that moment in time? So there's a growing affinity with nature and spiritualism happening at the same time. We're actually buying back more of humanity and more of our lives. So with the technological changes, there are some big social changes going on as well that obviously will have an impact on consumer businesses, but also in, in terms of how research is done and how that needs to be much more harmonious with people's lives and and how they choose to give you their time and the permissions they give you
0: yeah yeah i mean point taken we could debate this point and we probably i would love to have a deeper we need beer but uh, <laughs> you know the like <laughs> that will happen by the way at some point you know the like snapchat phenomenon is really interesting how like one of their big motivators is uh, to maintain consistent connection inside of the platform for their users or these streaks. So, you know, when you look at at the younger at the younger audience, the teens, right? Gosh, in fact, just this week I was in uh, at Michigan State presenting to their masters in market research cohort. I I do a, every time I speak in front of an audience, I do a quick poll on social media utilization. Uh, almost 100%. There was one person that didn't. So out of 31 students, one didn't use Snapchat. So like you have this, I mean, and it was the dominant platform, right? I mean, Twitter had whatever it was, 16 out of the 31, um, if memory serves. So you're seeing this, I don't know, I think that they're doing a good job of connecting the endorphins, to, <laughs> right? Which is terrifying to the point that you're raising. So I, it will be interesting to see how that continues to evolve and and if there will become this create this like tension of people that separate themselves ultimately from technology i'll call them the new amish
1: it's consciously uncoupling right
0: yeah no i mean exactly it's it's making a de- yeah it's 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 making a decision on technology and, and the utilization of technology on on how that's actually going to impact you right such a fun conversation Anyway, I'm going to I'm going to divert, though, because we want to talk about I want to talk about some other things. And that is specific to your two key platforms, Tandem and Together. Maybe you can talk to us a little bit about about them.
1: Sure. So um, and actually, I should point out, I'm involved in another business called Signoy. So there is a kind of third platform I'll I'll tell you a little bit about because that's very new and having some great success. And it might be of interest to your kind of. Yeah, yeah, please. So the two technologies that we have at Further, the technology that we kind of started out life with in 2007, uh, which was the research community platform. It's called Together. We've done a name change on that. You may have known it. Some of your audience might have known it. it as Ideastream. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we kind of rebranded the business uh, a year or two ago and, and changed some of the mnemonics around that. Um, so that's a, what we call a research community platform. But research communities, as you probably know, mean different things to different people. So to us, when we talk about communities we are really talking about human connections and bonds that emerge between the facilitators the moderators the community managers and and the participants because for us to really get under the skin of what's happening in their lives and their relationships we have to get to know them quite intimately in the same way that you would within a focus group so The communities that we run are highly interactive. They're much more qualitative in nature. What I mean by that, it's not a series of structured questions and polls. They're much more creative activities and exercises and conversations that we're having with them. They tend to be more short term in nature. So again, I differentiate them from what I know the likes of Vision Critical uh, or Taluna might call insight communities. So these aren't kind of big panels and with huge sample sizes. These are quite small, very intimate. They can range from 30 people up to a few hundred people, consumers. Often. And just for clarity,
0: so are these more like short-term type communities or are they like a six months to a year? Okay.
1: Yeah, there's a combination. So a lot of them, let's say, you know, another way of thinking about them is some of them are very put together specifically for a project. So to answer one particular question, whereas I- others, others are used and built so they can respond to several different questions and challenges that the organization has so when you think about
0: like the from a community perspective when it was communities i think are very interesting to me right now i, I really think that you're going to see a continuously of massive growth in this particular segment in this type of work over the coming years the as you know we're seeing some data quality issues inside of the professionally managed panels so I see some, like one way of thinking about communities is just speed to access or speed to insight, right? So it's kind of like, I got these people, boom, I get an insight right away. I don't have to worry about the screening per se, right? But it, it sounds like really in your use case, it's much more of a like digital ethnographic type, getting to know them at a at an intimate level, as opposed to the, I have access to this group of people.
1: Yeah. I think that's an accurate description and, and, and actually a good, good way of kind of illustrating that. So uh, our research director, uh, a lady called Dr Marie-Claude Gervais, she was teaching qualitative research methods at the London School of Economics, you know, so a very highbrow institution. She was a, a very sort of traditional qualitative researcher for many, many years, run thousands of focus groups. And when research communities emerged and she started kind of working with those and understanding the dynamics, somebody with that kind of academic rigor who ran a lot of tests to look at, you know, the data quality, but also the immersion with the kind of the the real picture of what's actually happening in people's lives and how it gave them the ability to be very open and honest and truthful about what's happening, but also allowed the researcher to see their lives from a number of different lenses. So they could see it's not, obviously, not just what about the the participant is saying, but it's Mm -hmm. what we're observing that's going on in that picture that allows us to then Forge the insight. So it's not just access. For us, it's access to the inner workings of people's lives. And, and by, you know, it's, it's technology enabled, but it's actually about the design of the activities and the exercises that we create. And it's about the quality of the relationships that we forge with those participants over a very short space of time. And so, you know, we have a number of really established methods that we use. And in fact, a lot of our work, because we work with brands and agencies, a lot of our work is developing the capabilities of research teams. So they understand that, you know, when they're running the type of communities that we're talking about here, they know, through our training, how to get that sort of relationship, how to get that depth, because when you've got people that fallen into research, they won't get it in the same way. You know, there are a lot of um, psychological hacks that we use. There's a number of kind of different tricks and and methods that we employ to getting people to really open up and to forge that trust in the relationship really really quickly and then you know different ways of seeing the context of what's actually taking place because we all know consumers lie you know it's um we do i mean mean, terrible witnesses our own history and and, and our own uh, behavior so we don't rely on that we you know we don't rely on video insight as a way of seeing what's actually going on. I think that's just a data capture tool. I don't think there is such a thing as a video insight in, in my understanding uh, or my kind of world. I don't, I don't use that language. Insight is forged. It's fraught with tension. It's hard. It's difficult. And uh, you know, it's um, often, it's, it's a struggle to get there to struggle working with the clients to help them, Really realize and actualize the the insight, but it's incredibly rewarding when you get it. And I think the communities can really do over on that. So, but again, I, I think of the communities. I don't I don't necessarily think of a community, a research community, as a method on its own. I think it's really just a way of engaging people so that you can do different things with them. Uh, and that's very different. I, don't, I, I think some people kind of prescribe a community and think, oh, it's this. Well, actually, there are a million and one things we can do within a community. It's just a really a way of having a great, active uh, and enriched conversation with you know, a, a target audience.
0: All right. So break it down for me. I, by the way, I completely agree with your assessment of video. I had Affectiva's COO, Tim Peacock, on the show a while ago. And um you know they're the number one video based platform based on their analytics they sh- and i might be misremembering the exact quote but it was something like either between 80 or 90% of actual communication is happening below the chin so like if you're just doing this like what you and i are doing right now you really miss well fortunately i'm doing this with my hands which they look really big when they're close so <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know what I mean? Like, you're right. I think, I think there's this over-indexing right now on video
1: as, you know, as kind of the... the... And, that, and that to me, I think, I think the video stuff is used in a very tactical way. And I think that's fine. You know, that's good. But uh, the work that we do, the type of briefs that we work on, they're big strategic projects. And you wouldn't just rely on kind of video insight. You know, there'd be a, a much more blended approach. All right. So
0: take it down. So we've got three platforms now that you're talking about, right? Would you just give me like a quick description, a snapshot description of each one? Um, And then after that, then I want to dive into a centric use case that maybe we haven't touched on yet.
1: Yeah, so sure. So we talked about together being the kind of qualitative research community technology. Our newest love child, if you like, is Tandem. So that's something we released just over a year ago. And that's a, a kind of a much more thoroughbred mobile ethnographic tool. So whereas the community platform is about participants interacting with one another as well as with the moderators, Tandem is really just a one-to-one communication tool, very specifically about understanding moments and observations, as well as adding more structured response to questions that are built in a sort of drag-and-drop way on the technology itself. And both of these platforms, you know, We focus a lot when we build this technology on two particular user bases, obviously the participants and their user experiences of tantamount importance. But on the other side, it's building it with the researchers in mind. So understanding that journey from data to insight um, is really crucial for us. And and I think with the feedback that we get a lot and with our net promoter score that kind of bears this out, I think, which is about 77, then... um, you know, it, it understands how the researcher works and that's what people like a lot about our technology. It makes their lives easier and gives them that license to focus more on the analysis and the reporting and the and, and strategy derivation than, than the moderation and fussing around with you know, the data collection piece. So
0: in both of those platforms, they're DIY based. Do You also have services associated with that?
1: Yeah, so so we're, we're a bit of a hybrid, if you like. So we have clients that just license our technology and, and use it. I mean, we have clients, uh, people like Insights Consulting, who've used it for many years. Uh, all of their research communities were hosted on our technologies for a long time. But then we have clients who we might provide some fairly basic services or training and support for those clients or what we call sometimes just optimization. So they might pass over their research design or their, their activities and guides uh, and we'll help break those apart, optimize them to get really good levels of traction, sometimes just simply to know that they make sense. You know, you kind of have that plain English kind of test, if you like, uh, you know, would your mom understand what you're asking her to do if I presented that to her? Sometimes people forget <laughs> that. Such an important point. So that's, that's the kind of uh, type of client. And then on the other end of the scale is the full service. So a lot of our clients ask us to partner with them to do the research from beginning to end. And we'll deliver a debrief or a report to those clients. Yeah, I I really, I think that
0: approach is, I mean, certainly at decipher. That was the winning strategy for us. I launched the business with intent of it being a DIY platform, but quickly learned that in order for it to get adoption, I was going to have to do both, you know, full service, not in the way of like report writing or analytics, but just in the way of programming the surveys, managing the sample, the project management, kind of the research ops side of it, right? So you're obviously taking it full circle. Okay, got it. So you're working with both brands and agencies?
1: Yep, that's correct.
0: Do you see, like, is there a difference in dealing with those two segments, those two customer types?
1: Always, always. I mean, the the relationships look very different because obviously the stakeholder groups that you're working with are often quite different. Some of Mm. them, the well seasoned you know insight professionals some of them less so and so we have to guide them and walk them through the process a little bit closer yeah, ultimately we've all got the same end point i think when we work with agencies we tend to be focusing on the insight when we're working with the brands and the clients we tend to be looking at how we can then activate that insight and really kind of create some value from what we've learned. I'd also say, I suppose when we work with agencies, a lot of the work is acting as a creative catalyst for them. So it's not necessarily getting down to answering a question or making a decision for them. It's saying, this is a framework or the opportunity space that you can work with. So you you have to go away and then develop whatever that, that, that solution is within that framework. So, and and that's the kind of work that we really, really enjoy um, working with those creative agencies in that particular way. Again, different ways sometimes, depending on the design solutions that we're working on. It could be if it's a product or service design, often we're working in sprints. So the way that we set up the way of working with those stakeholder teams might look different to when we're working with the brands. Um, But again, it depends what what the problem is that we're working on, you know, whether it's, you know, a major strategic shift in the business or whether it's just a, a product iteration,
0: right? When you think about like the economy globally, has been in a tremendous amount of flux in the last couple of years. You know, you're you're seeing more of a movement towards. I'm not sure if the right word is nationalism, but you know, borders are closing. Obviously, you know, we in in the U.S. anyway, you know, we're, we've been seeing consistent growth inside of the tech sectors, but other sectors may have been are actually struggling. When you think about like the I can ask this question to you because you know you and I are, I think, of similar age. So we've gone through a few different economic transitions. Where do you think we are right now? Are you do you think there's going to be like Are you seeing a, uh, do you think there's going to be more growth in our sector inside of the brands, or do you think there's going to be more growth inside of the agencies over the next three to five years?
1: <laughs> it's a really good question, and I think it's something we debate and look at a lot. I think where where we do well is we employ smarts. In our business, so mm-hmm. these aren't just people that can do good research. Yeah. These are really people that can arrive at a, an endpoint very quickly that satisfies what the client needs, or that can create a huge amount of value for the client. I think just telling them what's happening or telling them what's happened isn't good enough. I guess the type of organisations we work with range from you know the big international brands and agencies, but also we do a lot of work with startups. What's great about working with the startups, they're kind of user or consumer centred from day one. Yep. Uh, so they, They're not hindered by that kind of history or legacy that they have. However, you know, and, and I don't think we all see this no matter what market we're in. You know, a lot of these digital startups, they start off with great intentions. They find it hard to become really profitable despite significant funding and then end up getting subsumed by some bigger corporate somewhere down the line. You know that's that's what's happening because the corporates are buying the innovation, totally. Buying, but the but, but the startup hasn't been able to monetize that in a way that the at scale. Good, and so that's quite interesting if you think about what that journey means for for researchers and and you know taking a very user centered approach or consumer centered approach to the solution, but then sometimes having to kind of retrofit what the business needs and what the business model you know looks like overlaying that uh, solution. So yeah, I, d- I think. Of course, technology is democratized research. We know that. We know anyone can pick up SurveyMonkey, Qualtrics, whatever it is, and start doing some research. That's what I love about qualitative research. It's a science, right? You really do need some good training, and it's not just about having a conversation. And when we work with smart marketing directors, they know that. They get that. They understand it. There's a lot more to it. Um, And that's what we love, and that's the kind of work that we specialize in.
0: Now, I am going to push back a little bit. I do, I do think that... I'm not saying to... good surveys, but <laughs> I'm saying I can run surveys, right? I know you're going to... All right. That's fair. That's fair. But, you know, to your point, like, there's so much sophistication and science around a well-crafted question in context of a live discussion versus, you know, something else. Um, And you you said that
1: same rigor, though, in quant. (laughs) And I think actually, you made the point there about, you know, the right questions, but it's the right questions of the right people. Yeah, that's right. I think that actually is almost the hardest bit, the sampling, because access to Joe Public is quite easy now. I mean, there are lots of organizations in our world that give you access to people and the technology and some training on how to write a question but i just still think there's a lot of people that don't know who they should be asking the questions of so that sample design in qualitative research because we're working with smaller samples is so critical you know it's so important to get that right and a lot of the the a lot of the conversation and the debate we have with our clients starts with that sampling and it lasts quite a long time i'm always yeah. amazed but i enjoy the fact that we love that discussion we love that argument because for us that is absolutely Fundamentals. to doing good research. It's the right questions of the right people at the right time in the right way. Yeah, that's I
0: mean, it kind of gets back to at least half of it gets back to Doctor Who asked the right question. So do you have a like, what is I know you do, what is one or two favorite projects that you've worked on?
1: For me, there's a project, you know, stands out every time. And, and really, for the simple reason that, you know, we talk a lot of people talk in research about changing lives, but this was a piece of work that we collaborated on with uh, someone who's now our research director. So at this point in time, is was a few years ago, uh, this was working with Dr. Marie-Claude Gervais. She was a client. And uh, this was looking at the lived experience of ethnic minority people and black people and old people in the UK. Uh, so people living with cancer. The objective there was to understand the inequalities in cancer care services amongst BAME audiences um, and subsequently what that different experience of living with cancer looked like with them. Um, so the client was Macmillan Cancer Support, which is a big UK charity over here. There was a I think two months we kind of followed them, observed them, engaged these people, small cohorts of people around the UK. And and you know, these are these are you know transgender people. So often so you can't even imagine how difficult it would be to get them into a focus group facility let alone find them in the first place so therein lies you know some of the big advantageous the advantages of communities but this project was uh you know when i think about it the hair stand up on, on my arm now still and you know i get goosebumps because really what we did is we changed the lives of those people in so many ways the project was of course to develop some new insights for macmillan but fundamentally what it did it led to changes in government policy but also and we had participants uh, and this happened not so long ago one participant a lady who was living on the bread line life was very very difficult for her she was very despondent you know and it actually changed her life because she realized there was a a support community that she could create herself for other people in, in a similar situation through getting to know other participants in the community. And what happened after that community, the online community happened, is this woman in particular created a new um, support community for, uh, for uh, cancer patients, uh, black people, and that's given her a new focus in life. And actually about two years after the project, this lady turned up at one of, uh, one of the presentations we were giving unannounced to us uh, and came up to us at the end of the the presentation and, and really just thanked us for changing her life. And that's where market research really is very special, I think. And so for me, that was one of the projects where the research itself and the depth we were able to get through that community was incredible. You just wouldn't have been able to do that any other way. But how that fundamentally changed government policy, access to services for people in you know, often fringe groups on society was quite special. So yeah, that for me is a project I'll, I'll always think remember fondly. Oh, that is a beautiful
0: story. Thank you for sharing it. All right. I have I have a tactful question and then we're going to get to my the last question. But when you think about like qualitative and quantitative, you know, we've hinted around this a couple of times so far in our conversations, you know, quantitative is just a really bad conversation, right? Or Quantity, yeah, Quantity surveys are just terrible surrogates for a conversation at scale. I oftentimes joke that like nobody after a date does an NPS with the person they just went on a date with, right? <laughs> so like we, have, we actually have human ways that we interact, not 11-point scale starting with zero. One of the benefits potentially of artificial intelligence is it can enable us to have conversations at scale and then subsequently potentially analyze that data in a meaningful way because you know, the data accessibility has so far on open-ended data or unstructured data has been just impossible to, to penetrate, but now you're seeing movement in there with sentiment and natural language processing, et cetera. So do you think that you're going to see a, like is your, and I guess this is somewhat biased, but do you believe there's going to be a lift proportionally in qualitative utilization when you think about the global
1: market research spend? I think we're seeing it already for for us. Qualitative research started a renaissance a couple of years back and we're seeing that continue to grow because I think clients want the human story and they're building human brands now. I think consumers can easily sniff out brands that are completely tone deaf to what's actually happening at street level. And that's where qualitative research uh, I think plays out very, very well. So I'd say that's happening. I mean, you know, we ourselves, and, and I alluded to earlier, another one of the other uh, businesses I'm involved with, which is called Signoy, we're also able to analyze large volumes of unstructured data. And if you think about, and, and that's for meaning and cultural insights. So if you think about how that might apply, if you want to then think about doing qualitative research at scale. So for example, using bots for moderation, uh, so you can engage, you know, bigger, bigger, samples of of consumers in a shorter space of time, but then have the means to analyze that and get something quite tangible out of that very quickly. That's still qualitative research for me. It's just using technology to speed up the process in terms of data capture, to focus in the human analysis. You know, I don't think we'd ever go on the results that the black boxes are giving us, but it certainly allows us to look at the right thing. Um, so that's happening and that's something we're experimenting with and using on some of our clients. And I think that's very, very exciting, but yeah, the human side of research and and qualitative, it's already experiencing a significant uplift, certainly here in the UK. And and we do a little bit of work in the U S but you know, qualitative is much bigger here in the UK than it is in the U S anyway, I think. Yeah, no, you're absolutely
0: right to that point. I think one of the reasons why is well, not geographically, but one of the reasons like just broadly speaking, you have such a growth in quant is it's just easy to execute to your earlier kind of stab. You know, it's easy to, you and I or our moms could program a survey and survey monkey and launch it quickly. It doesn't take a tremendous amount of sophistication. But I, I mean, I, it, I really think it's interesting to as a as a practitioner of research to see how we're seeing how you're, you're taking, you know, the science of Qualitative, which is hard, by the way, and seeing it morph and move into the statistics uh, that are normally associated with quant, and it's going to be fun. I, I, it is fun right now, and it's going to continue to be fun to see this evolve over the next three years. It's SMR report is going to be fun.
1: Yeah, and you know we feel we're in a good position for that because you know sitting at the intersection of research, insight, and technology allows us to kind of play with these tools. We understand how these tools work. We can stitch them together very easily. We've got a team of, uh, you know, developers and engineers. So yeah, it's exciting times.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right. We're going to end on this
1: question. What is your personal motto? Gosh, good question. I've got two, actually. So I'd say one kind of, uh, well, both relating to kind of entrepreneurship, but I think equally about, you know, research and the process. So I don't think there's ever such a thing as win or lose. For me, it's always win or learn. Everything is a learning opportunity. Um, and I think that's important to think about that. The second one really is just about resilience and never give up, you know, fight that fight to get that insight across to the client. You know, there's always naysayers, but, you know, stay resolute, have resilience and, and, and you know, keep on with that struggle.
0: My guest today has been Stephen Krivet, founder and CEO of Further. Thank you very much, Stephen, for joining me on the Happy Market Research podcast.
1: My pleasure, Jamin. Thanks very
0: much. Everyone else, if you found value in this episode, like I did, I hope you will screen capture, share it on social media. That is how other people like you are able to find this content. And as always, your five-star reviews are in, always appreciated. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. This episode is sponsored by G3 Translate. The G3 Translate team offers unparalleled expertise in foreign language translations for market researchers and insight professionals across the globe. Not only do they speak hundreds of languages, they are fluent in, probably the most difficult one, market research. For more information, please visit them at g3translate.com.